I'm seeing this change in the way I personally am starting to think about places that I get my clothes and accessories, shoes from. When I think about that question of, is this real? It's also aligned really closely with, is this brand who they say they are? And like, how do I figure that out? And talking to all four of the brands we talked to kind of started to give me the tools. We're the Majority Group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Catero. And I'm Frankie Aquasim. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. If you've been with us since episode one, we've covered a lot of nuance as we explored the different ways fashion is informed by gender constructs. So today, Lola and I take the stage ourselves and take a beat to reflect on the last four conversations. In this reflections episode, we'll ask ourselves, what new perspectives did we gain and what new questions do we now have? Let's get into it. But first, you know we created a visual guide, and this one is a special one. So text gender, that's gender, to us at the number 833-495-4773, and we'll send it right over. Frankie! Lola, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) It's just us. I know. Feels great. (laughs) We love our guests. We love our guests. But... It's good to see you. This is us time. We've covered a lot of ground over the last few episodes. Yeah, we have. And it's pretty damn special. What marinated with you the most? One thing that really came to mind as we were talking with all of our guests is that when we started this podcast, we knew that there would be an undercurrent throughout what a brand's identity is and what their values are. But even though we selected these themes to kind of go deep into and be able to discuss the nuance, the undercurrent really came to the surface. I guess what I mean by that is it became near impossible to discuss gender constructs in fashion without acknowledging other influences, whether that was queer culture and history, upbringing and heritage, or a feeling of responsibility, whether it's through sustainability and mentorship and community reinvestment and all of these things, you know, we have dedicated themes for the rest of the season that go into some of these Mm -hmm. aspects. And it was really interesting to see that it naturally came up for these brands in sharing their stories or in going into gender constructs that it's not a silo. And that was one of the big things that kind of stood out holistically across all the brands. Yeah, I know. It's so funny because as we were having these conversations with them, we came in, like you said, from a certain point of view of like, we want to hear about this from you. And then so naturally we learned that they focus a lot on who they're creating for and how they're doing it. And as a result of that really pure intention and that focus, they get at these other things that like affect us in life. I think that lack of a silo of gender is super representative of how it works in our real lives, right? And you kind of see that with Sally from Argent, like her example of how her experience fundraising as a woman and as a woman trying to solve a pain point for other women. Yes, you know, gender is such a big and central part of that experience, 
but all of these other things that exist outside of that, like you said, our history, like our society, then influence her in that situation. And we saw that in both the way that she went through that experience, but also how she talks about what needs to happen to make sure that changes and, you know, the necessary distribution and sharing of power and that cash money, share of voice, like share of solving the problem. Like Sally saying, men need to be a part of the conversation too. And we really saw the threads of gender like looping through other parts of her experience, you know, retroactively influencing those and those influencing influencing hers. Yeah. You said something about power and it's true. I mean, these constructs around gender are born from the same systems of power that dictate tradition or perpetuate standards for better or for worse. And to question and evolve fashion towards gender equity, we need to talk about our history and how that informs today's culture and how these brands are building for tomorrow. I mean, it's so true. Yeah, we can't do it in a vacuum. No, we can't. We can't. Yeah, that was like, I guess, one of the biggest things that was a thread throughout for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think too, because speaking of of history, I think hearing, like, and I know this really stood out for you, right? Like hearing Daniel from Homoko's, some of that origin, like some of the history that's based in both the designs of the actual clothes that we wear, but also the reasoning behind why the brand needs to be fun and it needs to be light. I know that that was really special for both of us to hear. That is like a direct link to history it's emotional. And that was, you know, we've known the brand for years now. And I knew, you know, they have these travel tees that celebrate these locations, but really learning about uh, our origin there and the reason why, yeah, it hits different. I mean, we're wearing it like it really is celebration, but also an act of acknowledgement of where we've been. Yeah. And I feel like too, making it something that's physical that we take into spaces that we inhabit, like we're wearing it. It's something that you can read and see. I think it's such a, we always talk about making space, you know, and I think some of the simplest ways of doing that is by like walking in into a space with something that makes you feel good, something that is linked to like where you get your power. And so I thought that that was also really cool. Just I think we talk a lot about style as identity. I mean, oh, do we? <laughs> obvious, Frank, but like, it's like so funny because I keep saying it's so funny. I'm dying over here. Everything's so funny. But I, <laughs> I, I mean it like when we named it that we had all of these things in mind and it's been really cool to talk to people and almost learn even more things that we probably knew deep down, but didn't really identify. And that is it's like style is a form of expression. It's something that enables us as people to kind of show people who we are, but also like figure out who we are. And that is very deeply tied to power. So individual power. I know we've been throwing around power there. So there are different kinds. We just have so much of it. We have so much power. We're holding (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. And you just said like style as expression. And we also talk so much about style as evolution of our Mm -hmm. personal identity and personal growth. And that comes through for a lot of these brands and I also notice, you know, growth isn't easy for me, at least I'll speak for myself, but, um, speak for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I admire any person or brand that is more focused on growing and evolving for the better future than the ones that don't acknowledge that imperfection is necessary for growth. And I think that when hearing Daniel or Stoney talk about 
what sort of ways they tested things out. You know, Daniel started out with the menswear brand and and wasn't really able to acknowledge the queerness of the brand in the way that felt true to him. And Stony, 85% of Stuzo's audience are female. And so said, oh, let's test this out. Let's apply gender to the brand and then realize, oh, that wasn't, that's not it. And then took a step back. I do think we don't often acknowledge these like deeper experiments that have implications and tell us about ourselves and who we are and what it's like to build for ourselves and live our truth. And especially in today's culture, right? Like if it's a nuanced conversation to talk about these personal growth markers and evolution, I think for these brands to do it and not shy away from that, and it brings them closer to their truth is chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. I mean, you're right. I think talking to them and realizing, one, how long they've been doing this, whether it's as the brand that we know today, or like you said, with Stoney and Daniel as some of their earlier iterations. And it makes me realize personally that when you talk about how imperfection is necessary for growth, it's hard to do that because we live in a world that rewards perfection. And sometimes I think like, what is perfection? Isn't perfection just, just abiding or aligning ourselves with the constructs that exist? So it's like, it's perfectly digestible. And so it's kind of uncomfortable to be doing what they're doing. Like, I really want to spend a little bit more time on what you just said, because it feels as we're saying it as like, Hey, they took the road less traveled, but it's hard to do that when you're also trying to convince people to see you while you're also learning how to see yourself. And so I think that's especially cool. It's funny because we're like, they experimented with just being menswear or with <laughs> like literally experiment they ran was following the status yeah. quo. Do I do this? Yeah. And so it's one, their experiment or the imperfection, it didn't hurt anyone else, right? Like yeah. I think in, in the world today where we, there's just a lot of cancel culture and things like these people aren't experimenting at the sake of other people's harm. So I don't know. I feel like it's need to call that out. So people, yeah. you know, don't go run off and like, it was an experiment. It was an experiment. I'm good, right? Like, <laughs> they thought it was okay. I learned something. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're, it's, they tried to play by the rules. And they were like, oh, this is not for, for me. Yeah. 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 And I think what enables them to kind of recognize it's not for them is being firmly rooted in their strongest influences. Like for Sarah from Lilith, it was being from Queens, like just always revisiting that. And for Stoney, a big element was, hey, my grandmother's closet. So I realized that they know who they are, but also they have these parts of them that they hold on to and revisit and get inspiration from. And I think it's a nice anchor to always be like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm playing by the rules, but it feels like I'm not showing up in these ways that are really important to me, like that's gotta mean something. Actually, let's talk about the front part of that. The work to recognize how the systems in place weren't built for us. You know, we're talking about experimentation actually is going back to status quo we saw that a lot in Argent and Lilith NYC's story. Some things have changed, but women in a lot of instances aren't aware of how many systems weren't built for us at all, let alone for us to succeed in them. And now here we are attempting to, I mean, why is it a revolution to have suits with pockets or sneakers to literally feel comfortable and be made from the same quality materials as male sneakers? Like, why, why is that? The thing that we're like, whoa, profound. Like, please do that more. That's so true. It feels like there are these simple needs <laughs> that have been overlooked. I think that's what it really comes down to. And they would be simple if they didn't have these downstream effects. 
that then go on to impact our lives in different ways. Like it's not, it shouldn't be revolutionary to have suits with pockets that we feel comfortable in. It shouldn't be revolutionary to be able to walk in my stylish sneakers all day and not, you know, feel like I need to put my feet up for four days after. Like those things to me are pretty simple, but then you have the fact that we don't have those things then creates other situations and those situations create other situations. And so I think it's almost the people who like Argent and Lilith NYC who recognize like this thing is simple, but it's getting in the way of something that I need to personally do as a human and as a person. And it seems to me like they really started with themselves in the least selfish way possible, but they just realized there was something that they had to do for them. And then they also realized that by doing it for them, they were doing it for, for all of us. Actually, and that's interesting because it also comes from data, right? Like Sally read that stat and was like, oh, yes, this is my life exactly. And it actually is a lot of people's lives. Whereas, you know, Sarah, it was her experience with sneakers and growing up and then also working in the sneaker industry and seeing Mm -hmm. the demand, but not seeing the supply and the quality of supply and being like, also not just me. (laughs) Um, And now building, yeah, this future for all of us. It's the Lord's work. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Real quick, going to what you said about data, they do use different kinds of data, right? So there's like the statistical data that they both called out when we talked to them. But there's also, I guess what, you know, we're both marketers, so sorry, everyone, what we would call qualitative data, which (laughs) is making this sound very like unemotional, but it, it is actually very emotional the way they talk about the clothes they're making, because I think something that all four brands do really uniquely is that they think about how people feel in the clothes that they're making, both from a standpoint of how do you literally feel in this? Is it comfortable? Does it get you to where you need to go? Does it get you to the goals you need to get? But then also like how you feel when you're wearing it as a person, like, do you feel safe? Do you feel like yourself? Do you feel like you can walk into places and show up the way you want to show up? I think that's really cool. Like more specifically, like Daniel from Homoko talks about, you know, recognizing that people like their clothes to fit differently and not making size a barrier to understanding like how they're going to feel in something. If they want to have something like get it tight, get it right one day versus another day where you're just like, I want to be all baggy, my baggy licious self. You know, I'll never say that again. Um, (laughs) And like Arjun being receptive to feedback, like such a big part of Sally's process is internalizing what people who are wearing her clothes are saying to her and building that into future iterations. And then with like Lilith NYC prioritizing literal comfort and Stuzo clothing, like going even before the wearing process, all the way to how you feel when you're shopping and like feeling like you can walk into a store and not feel like you have to be put in a certain box and go to a certain area. So I think the really human centered way that all of them kind of develop their process and like create clothes that they want to wear and that other people can wear is also like a different kind of data, but it's really just, you know, focusing on the human. I couldn't help but see that across all of them. Yeah. And the other thing too, yeah, like Stuzo and Homoko, I thought they're not cut to emphasize a certain body type or gender. Whereas Lilith and Argent, they use the female body as a focus, are open to all, but all brands welcome everyone. And so I think that is just a great thing to know is like, it's not about one way of doing things to still resonate and be open. And, and we saw that really come through with the different conversations we had. 
Also, I wanted to shout out something that I thought was really unique about Daniel, and it's how he invests in the collective and the community, uses the brand to really make us all feel part of what Homoko is and feels like in the most gentle way possible, in the way that, you know, he has his core brand tenants and beliefs and abides by them and uses them as like his guide and then relinquishes power in the most expensive thing, which is like brand photography and models. And he can do that because of where he's rooted and what guides the brand. And I thought like, wow, like that is actually quite distinct in how he's able to do that. And still any image you see, no matter who took it, who's in it, it feels like the brand and it's not compromised at all, but actually strengthened. Yeah. I think the way in which Daniel shares the brand, but we also see it with Lilith and Argent. Like Lilith is very intentional about picturing like black and brown people in campaigns and giving them the spotlight. And Argent talks a lot about work friends and having our physical bodies like interact with the clothes we're wearing, like hands in pockets, moving in the clothes, like taking up space. So I think to your point, it is this pragmatism and almost like straightforwardness, but then it also kind of comes out creatively and influences a lot of, you know, what we see and how we perceive like what they're offering. And one part I can't wait for is like Stuzo talked about maybe next year launching the House of Stuzo. I think when you have that level of pragmatism, you can do these things that aren't maybe like traditional brand things that you do. But since it's rooted in these core beliefs, world's your oyster, honey, like get after it. And it still makes sense. And it doesn't feel like a brand departure because, again, it has this strong foundation and it just it allows us to think about what is a brand, how does it serve us? And then you get these beautiful ways that it serves us. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's all kind of connecting for me, how we're talking, how, especially as we get into heritage episodes and talking a little bit about like how things are done versus how we want to do them. There is beauty in understanding why things are done a certain way and if it's going to work for you. But what they've all done is they've all decided very firmly, here's how I'm going to do things and here's why. And then from there, I might break stuff, you know, and I might show up as a brand in a way that people aren't used to. Oh, do you need this kind of space? But it's like, at the end of the day, it's just how I was very sure about how I wanted to do stuff and why. And so then it'll come out in all these different ways that maybe don't feel natural right away, but they're really important for people to try and to do. And yeah, House of Stuzo is just one of those examples. It's like doing something new that you wouldn't expect, but that's the whole point, right? Like, it's just... Stoney decided like who they were going to be. And then it was easy. I'm not going to say it was easy. Nothing, nothing Stoney does, but it feels right. But it feels right. I think that's where I want to put that. You're right. It feels right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing too, that keeps coming to mind for me is when it comes to core beliefs and core values that they all communicated with us, at least in our conversations, but they don't necessarily shout from the rooftops. You know, it's not like insert these core beliefs here to get you to buy our product. It's like, they just kind of do it naturally. And it kind of made me think about how historically there's a lot of emphasis in the buying process put on, am I getting the quality I'm paying for? And a way that that has kind of shown up in real time is, you know, if you're buying something, you're thinking, how do I know this is authentic, like an authentic X bag? Or how do I know this is like real of this fabric that it claims to be? And so that historically has been our way of of assessing, like, 
how do I know it's real? You know, when you're buying things and assessing is the quality of what you're paying for. But I'm seeing this almost change in the way I personally am starting to think about places that I get my clothes and accessories, shoes from. When I think about that question of, is this real? It's also aligned really closely with like, is this brand who they say they are? Not just like, is this physically a X product, but like, is this brand who they say they are? And like, how do I figure that out? And I think talking to all four of the brands we talked to kind of started to give me the tools to do that. And I think also it is hard for the consumer, I think sometimes, because brands that might have more marketing budget or resources might be able to tell that story better, whether it's authentic or not, but it's easier to tell that story, whereas some brands might not have those capabilities. And I think it is tricky. And so that's why we're here to help (laughs) dig into each brand. And next theme, which we'll get into in a minute, we actually talk with a brand that kind of actively doesn't use terminology, doesn't claim to be anything. And I think in some regard, you could say, well, then I don't know what they're about. But then when you look at their brand, you look at the Instagram and you meet the founder, I mean, how could you not know what they're about? So it comes out in different ways and can't wait to get to that episode. Wow. Thank you, Frankie, for kind of getting into this with me. Anytime. (laughs) And thank you to the brands for really sharing their story and being really open. And that's wonderful. And we learned a lot. So next up, we speak with even more brands that are equally as amazing and beautiful and pragmatic, but in different ways than we've heard so far. It's going to be good. See you there. Bye, everybody. You know what, Lola? Reflecting on these episodes has made me really excited to share the next four with everyone. Uh, Me too. Our next theme is entitled Heritage and explores four brands that preserve culture and honor tradition, but also question it and evolve it for the world and people of today. See you there.